This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Dr. Kim Stackhouse-Lawson is my guest here today. She is director of the Colorado State University AgNext program, which is headquartered in Fort Collins, Colorado. Dr. Stackhouse-Lawson, let's get started. Tell us what the CSU AgNext program is and what you do. Sure, absolutely. So CSU AgNext is an initiative that focuses on the development of sustainable solutions for animal agriculture. And we are uniquely positioned between the College of Agricultural Sciences and the College of Vet Med and Biomedical Sciences to really focus on the development of scalable solutions. And so those are solutions that um, will be could be readily adopted by um, producers and hopefully don't have unintended consequences, right? So when we focus on solutions to wicked problems, which sustainability is one, um, oftentimes we'll solve one problem, but we might create three or four more. And so we're a group that's really focused on um, finding perhaps not the right answer, but the best answer and an answer that will really think about propelling the industry um, forward. A really um, ex- exciting aspect of CSU Agnext is the, the cluster hire strategy that CSU has supported. Um, so CSU is supporting in total 12 tenure faculty to be hired in a cluster hire fashion, which will extend across multiple departments where we really bring together um, leading experts in the space from diverse backgrounds. And so that helps us, right, actually develop those solutions um, that um, are focused on moving the industry forward, but also focused on um, intentionally thinking about trade-offs, right? And and being very practical and real about those trade-offs to make sure we have solutions that work. Dr. Stackhouse-Lawson, what exactly is a cluster hire? Sure. So a cluster hire is when a university um, basically augments um, faculty to um, be hired into the system. And so oftentimes it will come from an infusion of a budget. And so our cluster hire is actually a great example of, of this to describe. So half of those 12 tenured faculty will be funded by the provost and half of their salary will be funded by a partnering department. And so it's essentially a way for us to encourage, right, departments to hire people with specific expertise in a particular area. Um, So sustainability is quite broad. And so far, we've hired um, six individuals. So we have two livestock economists. Um, One is focused more on the development of carbon markets and ecosystem services. And the other is more focused on cost and what cost benefit analyses look like on producer operations. Um, we've hired two feed yard system specialists, one who is more focused on health and productivity and another who is more focused on greenhouse gas emissions and other environmental aspects related to feed yard production. We've hired one dairy system specialist. Um, and that individual is really focused on precision technology and understanding um, how workers, so so um, team members on a dairy, can influence health um, and decision-making and productivity. And then we have um, a modeler who actually looks at life cycle assessment and how 
we can make changes on an operation and how that may impact, let's say, the carbon footprint or the water footprint or biodiversity on a farm more through um, a modeling approach. And so each of those individuals actually is housed in a different department, but come together through Agnext um, and through their focus on sustainability and animal agriculture. And what is your background? Can you tell me a little bit more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my PhD is in animal biology from UC Davis. Um, I studied greenhouse gas emissions from beef and dairy production systems. Um, I was actually one of the very first um, um, graduates with that kind of background. Um, from there, I went to work for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, where I started their sustainability um, research program through the Beef Checkoff. Um, while I was there, I also started the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef Fund by the policy division of um, NCBA. And then I left NCBA and went to work for JBS USA, where I ran um, their corporate sustainability program for the company outside of Brazil. So um, kind of a diverse background, um, very different background than many academics. And actually, our cluster hire faculty, the six that we have on staff right now, many of us have um, an industry background complementing our, our academic background as well. And I think that it makes us a stronger, more diverse team when we start thinking about, again, those solutions in animal agriculture, right, that are sometimes um, difficult because they have those trade-offs and those trade-offs are, are very, very important and are critical to the resiliency of our food system. Dr. Stackhouse Lawson, I'm on your website and there's a lot of components to what you do at CSU Ag Next and we'll kind of highlight those, but I see the word and feel the word sustainability. How do you define that? Yeah, so sustainability is defined through three critical pillars, environmental, social, and economic. And not one pillar is more important than the other. And I think what's really important when we think about sustainability is that something isn't or is sustainable, right? That's 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 not what sustainability is. Sustainability is about continuing to um persist. It's about balancing those critical pillars of social, economic, and environmental. And it's about really ensuring that we're doing the best job we know how to do with the resources we that are made available to us to produce food. And, you know, agricultural producers in this country do such noble work. Um, and it's only becoming more difficult, right? It's becoming more difficult because there's so much more food that is needed and the resources on this planet are finite. It's becoming difficult because people are more interested in the way food is produced and they may have emotional, right, ties, ties to that production strategy. And so when we think about sustainability and we think about how we may be able to, um, improve the sustainability of animal agriculture, it's really multifaceted um, through health of the animal, through health of people, through the environment, um, hopefully making producers, farmers and ranchers more profitable. You know, all of those things are important when we think about the sustainability of, of our food system. That leads right into the next question. So can you talk to me about what CSU Agnex does to support and encourage sustainability in the animal agriculture industry. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the really um, exciting things about the team that is coming ha is, ha is here and is still coming to CSU Agnex is that um, the majority of their appointments, so approximately 50% of their appointments, so the time that they spend doing their work is focused on engagement. 
And when we think about engagement, it's really um, taking into account stakeholders' perceptions and not just their perceptions, but their needs, their desires, their wants, um, things that are keeping them up at night and co-developing with them um, research projects and really conducting that research in a transparent way where we might actually be sharing ideas in real time. And the ideas are not just traditional academic, right? Academics lecturing to producers, but actually intended to be circular. So we share an idea and we get the idea back. They share an idea and they get the idea back. And our faculty are expected to not only conduct their research in that way, but also their teaching in that way, right? So one of the really important things, I think, when we think about the sustainability and the future of animal agriculture is where is the next generation going to come from? Um, not just the people farming and ranching, but the, the next generation of experts, the next generation of influencers. And so our faculty are actually able to to not just co-develop research, but to provide experiential learning to those students and to really connect them with stakeholders in a more real way. And when we think about serving, right, which is the land grant mission, um, that service looks different today, right? 15, 20 years ago, we might have been serving through the development of fact sheets. Um, very few producers today want a fact sheet. And frankly, very few one-page fact sheets are relevant, right? Um, people are dealing in a different environment with different constraints and different risks. And what they might need is an expert that they feel comfortable enough picking up the phone in a, right? Or shooting a text and saying, I have this challenge. What do you think? And not expecting an answer, but actually expecting a brainstorming session and so that so that they can make a more informed decision and so that we can inform next steps for research better, which is, uh oh, through that brainstorm, we didn't know the answer. Right. So how do we take that brainstorm and find find the answer um, through controlled research experiments? Can you explain the primary research experiment that you're doing? Absolutely. So what we have heard from our stakeholders um, and we have what we call our industry innovation working group, and that's a group of 12 stakeholders, each with a three year term that rotate off after three years. So it's really a way for us to have constant contact um, with our, our producer partners and, and other stakeholders, um, in, inclusive, including NGOs, for example. And so what we heard from them is that the challenge that they're most worried about today is greenhouse gas emissions from animal agriculture production. And so that's been the majority of our focus. And when we think about greenhouse gases from animal agriculture, it's enteric methane, nitrous oxide, um, manure methane, and then anthropogenic CO2 that might come from feed trucks or tractors or something like that. And so we've gone we have a number of projects looking at reducing greenhouse gas emissions from animal agriculture production. And we not only evaluate the greenhouse gas reductions, right, or the greenhouse gases um, that are coming from the system, but we also evaluate animal performance. We evaluate animal health and well-being. We evaluate costs to the best of our ability. And clearly, we're working at a smaller scale, right, in our research than um, oftentimes larger producers. Um, but we really try to understand those trade-offs, the unintended consequences, um, what might be happening, right, as we begin to really focus on the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions in a system how does it impact the system overall? And then are, are, it is the solution that we potentially generate 
Does it have any negative effects, either from a cost perspective, a carcass merit perspective, an animal health and well-being perspective? All of those things are incredibly important when we think about scalable solutions, right? Because if we could come up with a solution that reduces methane by, let's say, 50%. But if it causes any unintended consequences related to animal health and well-being, for example, that solution's unacceptable. So we really have to do a good job um, thinking about that holistic system. Can you describe maybe detail for me um, some of the research that you've done so far? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we have um, some feed additive trials um, that are ongoing where we are comparing groups of animals or actually individual animals um, on the same diet. And the one thing that is different is this unique feed additive. Um, and the one thing that we've been able to um, co-build with our producer partners is what we are calling our climate smart research pins. And it includes um, $1.3 million worth of technology to measure greenhouse gas emissions and individual animal intake um, from the individual animal. And all of that equipment, the $1.3 million, has been donated or sponsored by our producer partners. Um, so it's an incredible um, example of, of how, how powerful we can be when we really think about working together. So right now we have 180 steers on trial. And we're measuring individual um, emissions from each of those animals. We're measuring methane, hydrogen, CO2, um, and um, oxygen from, from those animals. And then we're also measuring um, animal performance. We'll follow those animals into the, after they're harvested and measure carcass merit and carcass quality from them. Um, in addition to looking at um, differences um, in animal health and well-being that, that we might um, encounter during, during the feed additive or, or during the research trial. So it's, it's been a really exciting trial. Um, the cattle look great. Um, we, we should conclude at the end of May. Um, and we're really excited to, to see some of those results. Where will the information then be distributed to? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, we will, um, of course, publish all of our researcher research in peer-reviewed um, scientific publications because that's the gold standard for what we do. But as you can see on the website, our team loves to engage in different ways as well. So I'm sure that there'll be videos, um, probably a number of podcasts, um, likely shorter blogs, and then we'll we'll do some pretty robust social um, campaigns every time research is published. So I would imagine there'll be a peer-reviewed publication, and then there'll likely be different outlets of um, media communications that will come once that research is published. Um, we also host tours at the Climate Smart Research Facility. We host two to three tours a week with engaged stakeholders, and that could be representatives from Congress um, to producers to um, different stakeholder groups that are interested in the research that we are doing. Um, and then our team also does a great job meeting producers where they're at. And so we um, speak at many producer association meetings at state and local and national meetings. And so we'll be able to share um, information that that way as well. And, and we're really excited to do so. And after this particular research concludes, then what's next for you? Do you do more? Do you come up with new research ideas or what goes next? Yeah, so this summer we are going to have nine um, animal research projects happening across the cluster higher faculty. So I just talked about one that is concluding. It's the one that's furthest along, but we had another one that started just 
two or three weeks ago. Um, in a, in the feed yards, we have two that are um, occurring out out in more pasture range setting. Another one that's going to be occurring in an intensive grazing system setting. Um, so tons of research actually that's happening um, with our team. There's just such a need right now um, in the space, and that research actually spans from greenhouse gas emissions all the way to we have some really cool projects this summer looking at precision fencing technology. So the the um, um, sort of precision technology collars, the the e-collars that cattle can wear and trying to, to and working with producers actually on farm and farms and ranches to utilize those um, and to really do a good job capturing kind of um processes, right, that you would need to actually establish them. So it's a it's a bit more applied research, but um, really fun. And um, we're, we'll be excited to share those results as well. Do you collaborate with other universities? I know you mentioned you were with UC Davis, I believe, in California. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And California is really making a push for zero emissions. So do you work with other universities, other partners, too, in sharing research or going back we and do. forth? We do. Yeah, absolutely. So we share um, research with other universities and then collaborate with other universities and USDA ARS on research projects. So, you know, there's not a lot of funding in the space um, of enteric methane um, work or any sort of greenhouse gas emissions. There's there's not a lot of funding. And so um, really the best research projects are when we can all collaborate and and share information with each other. And, you know, the, the group that is involved um, in greenhouse gas emissions work and sustainability more broadly as well. Everybody really gets along. Um, and the, and the work is really strong. And so one of, um, our strongest partnerships is actually with USDA ARS. Um, and we work very closely with the team up at the Central Plains Experimental Range, um, unit that is in Nunn, Colorado. Um, and they have 16,500 acres. Um, they graze stalker steers in the short grass prairie step up there, um, in the summer. And it's only 35 miles from us. And so we do a lot of research with, with that group. Um, and it's been a, a wonderful partnership. Um, we've learned a lot about rangelands and ecology, and they've learned a lot about methane. Um, and we're excited to see that partnership continue to flourish. And what is enteric methane exactly? Yeah, so enteric methane um, is a, a byproduct of enteric fermentation. So the, the the rumen has four, well, one stomach and four compartments. And the majority of the digestion in a rumen, a ruminant animal, so um, livestock are or, or ruminant animals happens from microorganisms. And so those microorganisms um, are what actually digest the food. And so when a ruminant nutritionist, for example, um, is developing a diet, he's not necessarily developing or she's not necessarily developing the diet for the cow, but for the microorganisms, the, the bugs that live in the cow's rumen. And um, some of those populations of bugs are methanogens and um, they're necessary for that break down and they're actually the reason, right, that cows can graze grass and upcycle a whole bunch of material into meat and milk because that they they depend on these microorganisms. Where those methanogens produce methane. And that methane is released as, as a byproduct. It's a loss of, of energy is how we describe it. Um, and the animal belches, um, they can do through two Three things. They can belch it out, they can breathe it out, or they can flatuate it out. Um, the majority, um, 90% or greater, comes out of the front end of the animal. So actually belching or, or breathing it out. Um, and so 
what we try to do is modify that, right? And you can modify it through different diets. Um, we're exploring feed additives that w- that would be considered more rumen modifiers. Um, and so um, it's really thinking about taking the microbiology of the animal and, and shifting it so that they pr- they produce less methane. In this main research project that we've been talking about here today, any significant findings you can reveal? Justin's yeah, too yeah. early to tell um, right now. Yeah. Um, but the cattle, um, you know, look great. And I think that that's always um, a good sign. And of course, we're not far enough along to actually be looking at any data. But, um, you know, I think as scientists, whenever we're trying something new, um, we wouldn't be trying it if we weren't sure that it wouldn't hurt the animal, but things happen, right? And and research can can sometimes be unpredictable as well. And so, you know, I think overall, we're really happy with the way the animals ha- look in terms of their health and well-being. Um, you know, we don't see any ill signs of, you know, anything that would that would be concerning from from an ethical perspective as it relates to actually care of the animal. Um, and then we'll start digging into the data and um, hopefully be able to share, you know, those findings really soon. Um, we're always hopeful we find something. Um, finding something is always really hard because actually changing microbial populations um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and oftentimes those microbi- microbial populations kind of have a mind of their own. So, um, yeah, we'll see what the results look like. And, and we're really excited to, to share those. Well, it would seem to me such varying conditions because it's very environmental based as well on how cattle react to, to what's going on inside. Yes, absolutely. And we don't know a lot about that, right? So, um, you know, these cattle, for this particular research project, we're actually selected from the same location. Um, only they're actually only sourced from two different ranches. And so we're hoping that that kind of, um, how close they are in, in, in terms of size and type and, you know, where they were born and the fact that they came from the same state, just two different ranches will hopefully limit the variability that we see between animal. But you're absolutely right, right? The next phase in scale of solution would be if this works, does it work across broader populations? And then if it works in confinement, which is where this particular trial is at in a feedlot, does it also work in grazing animals? And then how, how can we um, understand that effect across the whole system? And so, you know, um, the space is really complicated. It's really fun, but it's really complicated. Um, and you just sort of have to, you know, answer one question and then go answer the next question based on the results you find. Do you work with other livestock besides cattle or just primarily cattle? Our team is predominantly focused on beef and dairy production because of its um, impact in the state of Colorado and how important beef and dairy is in Colorado. Um, We would also um, work with sheep to a certain extent. Um, A number of us have a little bit of expertise um, in sheep and we'd love to do more, uh, but funding is limited. Um, And then our modelers do quite a bit with other species, um, with poultry and swine production, because they're they're some of the best in the world. But when we think about live animal um, studies, we're, we're predominantly focused on beef and dairy. All right. Anything else? I haven't asked about anything else to add here today. I know there's probably a lot I'm missing because there's a lot to this. 
Yeah, just, you know, we're really excited to serve the state of Colorado um, and the United States and hopefully the globe with our work and um, look forward to the development of those practical solutions um, to enhance the sustainability of animal agriculture. Very interesting. And I'm sure there's a lot more information on this, but that is the show for today. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson. She is the director of the CSU Ag Next program. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.